Case number 22-1809 from Eastern Arkansas, Gregory Holt et al. versus Dexter Payne et al. Good morning, Honor, and may it please the court. At each step of Ralupa's analysis, the district court erred. The district court erred by dissecting our clients' religious beliefs and practices, uh, applying the rigorous analysis that Ralupa requires, not to the government's assertions about its security rationale, but the consistency and particularities of our clients' religious beliefs. And the court erred by accepting at face value the, the prison's excuses, uh, the reasons that the prisons offered to justify not accommodating our plaintiffs were the run-of-the-mill administrative excuses that have existed since um, government has, um, uh, has been here. When it comes to Jummah, our clients as Muslims believe it's their obligation to gather uh, for a weekly prayer that Islam requires they offer together. It's a prayer Gregory Hall, Rodney Martin, Wade Stewart believe, like other Muslims, they must perform behind a Muslim prayer leader and alongside other Muslims. That's their belief. That's what they stated as their belief in the testimony. And what the district court got wrong is that it set aside that belief and said instead that it's all generally speaking the same. That the Muslims, the folks that belong to the nation of Islam, and the five percenters that comprise the nation of gods and earths, that all of those groups... All those groups are, are, are pretty much the same in the eyes of the prison. But if this court were to attend that Friday service, it would hear people say, Allahu Akbar, God is great. To the Muslims, to our clients, to the folks that belong to the nation Islam, Allah is a reference to a person, Master Fard Muhammad. And for five percenters, Allah is an acronym standing for arm, leg, leg, arm, head, a reference to the person saying it. These are differences. These are real differences. And Raloop, whatever the district court thought of the differences, the significance of them, this court, as the district court should have done, is limited to assessing whether those beliefs are honestly held. Why aren't the security concerns um, a real issue? And I say that because, and maybe you draw the line at a different place, but you know, if there's 500 people in the prison, you obviously can't have 500 separate services. That just doesn't work. Um, you've got to draw a line somewhere. And so why don't the security concerns here make the line drawn exactly right, potentially? Uh, 
the, the line, well, that's just not this case. This case is uh, uh, seeking a separate service for Muslims, similar to the separate service for Muslims in the Bureau of Prisons, where uh, uh, prisons and jails all across the country are, uh, confront this issue, and then the way that they generally handle it is by allowing folks that are incarcerated to identify as Muslim, as belonging to the nation of Islam. And, uh, and that's, the, that's the sensible, obvious option for them here. And all the, all the security concerns ultimately relate to staffing shortages. And, and it's telling that those staffing shortages were asserted before the pandemic. They were asserted during the pandemic. And they were asserted today, and they haven't changed in their particularities. And so what RELUPA requires, what Holt v. Hobbs um, uh, uh, set out, is for this court to really interrogate the, the security rationale that the, the, that the uh, prisons are offering. And, and, and here, look, look at the kufi, the, the, the head covering. In ADC prisons today, there are all sorts of authorized head coverings, medical toboggans, winter caps. And just it just happens to be the case that when it comes to kufis outside of the salad, that's a bridge too far and um, uh, a step t- uh, too much um, uh, that, uh, that ADC is not willing to take. As, as I uh, uh, reviewed the record, it appears to me that at least one of your clients uh, stated that it would be acceptable to have the same exact service with the same leader, but with a screen separating the uh, the the different groups. Is that is, is that a misunderstanding of the characterization of the testimony? Uh, yes, Your Honor. The, the prayer does need to be separate. The the idea of a screen in the separate room is um, aimed at um, uh, addressing the issue that the the. ADC um, asserts that, well, if there's two separate services, we'll need additional guards. Well, the screen solves that problem by putting a screen between the Muslims and the NOI folks. Um, you just need one guard, and you could do two separate services So it's still in the same two, place. two separate services, right? Because um, I, I couldn't tell from the record whether or not there was possible that they could pray together, that they could have some acceptable person to all three groups who could lead the service. No, Your Honor. Uh, our clients are, are, are seeking uh, separate services uh, for the Muslims. View the, the, the combination um, that is being imposed on them. Uh, they're imposing a, a religious group that, in our client's mind, is further away from them than Christians or Jews. Um, I'm, I'm going to uh, stop now to, to honor the rebuttal. May it please the court, Yael Bortnick for the United States. And I would like to address three errors in the district court's legal analysis under RLUPA. First, with respect to sincerity, the district court erred by focusing, instead of on demeanor or the tone, on erroneous applications of the law. It required a doctrinal justification and it required perfect adherence, neither of which is allowable under RLUPA. Second, with respect to the substantial burden, The RLUPA analysis requires a practice-specific analysis, and the district court here erred by instead reframing the nature of the relief the plaintiffs were requesting. And finally, with respect to the least restrictive means analysis, 
the district court erred by failing to apply rigorously RLUIPA's demanding standard. And I'd like to pick up there with Judge Strauss's question about security concerns. It is possible that there would be a case where it would break the camel's back and there really couldn't be more services, but that's not what the district court held here. Here, the district court simply said in a single sentence that there were um, no least restrictive means due to staffing and security, but that's not sufficient under RLUIPA. The court has the obligation, as Holt v. Hobbs clarified, to consider whether exceptions are required under the test set forth by Congress. And here, there were possible alternatives that the court itself recognized as obvious, such as having two services in the same room simultaneously. And the court failed to address whether that could be a less restrictive alternative. Similarly, the court failed to address whether there were inconsistent or under-inclusive applications of the two policies at issue. Um, not only do other prison systems allow separate services for traditional Muslims and NOI adherents, as well as allowing kufis to be worn throughout their facilities, there is evidence in the record that ADC itself has made those accommodations for other, um, in other instances with respect to prayer services at at least one facility, ADC has allowed simultaneous services to take place for five different Christian sects, including three within the same location, um, demonstrating that that may be a less restrictive alternative. So your argument really is that we could decide this based on the least restrictive means analysis. We don't even really have to get into whether or not there could be security concerns that could justify different, you know, for example, holding, you know, 500 different services, maybe the straw, as you say, that broke the camel's back. But here we can just say there were alternatives and the, the prison failed to consider them. The United States hasn't disputed that security may be a compelling interest. But even if that is a compelling interest here, the court would still need to analyze, as you say, whether there is a less restrictive alternative. Here, even the district court recognized that there may be obvious alternatives, but its opinion failed to address those. And so the United States' position is that uh, further analysis is necessary. Um, if there are no further questions on less restrictive means, turning to sincerity, the district court erred on two ways. It required a doctrinal justification. It faulted the plaintiffs for failing to cite the Quran as the source of their belief in wearing a kufi. But this court has made clear multiple times that no doctrinal justification is necessary. And even if one were, the plaintiff cited the Hadith, another source that the Supreme Court has recognized is widely followed by observant Muslims. Uh, similarly, the district court erred in requiring perfect adherence. Um, even the most sincere practitioner may stray from time to time, and the district court's opinion um, seemed to require something differently. It also is inconsistent in its application. It faulted Mr. Holt for never attending a Juma service in the last five years, although that was entirely consistent with his stated beliefs, and at the same time faulted Mr. Martin and Mr. Stewart for attending mixed services. That simply can't be the standard under RLUIPA. With respect to substantial burden, the district court also erred in reframing the nature of what the plaintiffs were seeking. RLUIPA requires a practice-specific analysis, and courts must consider whether a government policy is a substantial burden on the individual's sincere belief. Here, rather than address whether the form of the congregation violated or was a substantial burden on the plaintiff's beliefs, the district court reframed the nature of the question and asked whether 
Um, there is a burden because plaintiffs don't select the text for the prayer or deliver a kutba, but that's not the relief plaintiffs are seeking. Similarly, with respect to kufis, the district court erred in holding that there is no substantial burden because Mr. Holt can wear his kufi for 22 hours a day, but plaintiffs seek to wear their kufis at all times. Um, is there any evidence? I was just curious about um, other head coverings. You, you, um, you're not co-counsel, but um, the appellant ended up talking about the fact that medical and other, but other religious headwear like yarmulkes and things like that. Is there any evidence in the record about how the prison treats those other types of head coverings? For religious head coverings, Your Honor, I believe the record demonstrates that no religious head coverings are allowed formally outside of religious services. Informally, at least with respect to kufis, they may wear them in their cells and sometimes in their barracks. Um, but the policy may still be under-inclusive given that ADC does, as um, Mr. Abbas recognized, allow for other caps to be worn in um, work assignments, in the yard, um, including summer hats and winter hats. And for medical purposes, um, hats may be worn at all times with a prescription. The, dis the Supreme Court in Holt v. Hobbs very similarly recognized that um, because ADC allowed for a medical exemption to its grooming policy, that may be evidence that its interest in a restricting religious beards might not be as compelling as they assert. Uh, the same could be said here. And if there are no further questions, the United States would rest on its briefs. Thank you. Ms. Donovan. Good morning, and may it please the court. My name is Kate Donovan, and I represent the Arkansas Department of Corrections. The district court correctly applied Ray Lupa to the declaratory and injunctive relief that the plaintiffs requested in their complaint. In their complaint, the plaintiffs asked for a separate service. The ADC policy provides for a separate service. It simply doesn't allow them to exclude certain parties from their service. The plaintiffs may have a sectarian service in which they are led by an outside world volunteer, presuming if there is space and a guard available at that time. But that's not what they've asked for. What they've asked the court, to, what they asked the ADC to do, was define Islam in a way that excludes certain groups from attending in that service. That non-denominational service is actually controlled by the Blue Order. The Blue Order requires the ADC to hold this Juma prayer service and have it be non-denominational. In addition, the two Sabah's orders uh, define the content of that service. Could they have had their own service in addition to the service that's mandated? Could they have asked for and petitioned for their, not for their own service in the sense of excluding people, but with different content? Yes, they could have. The, the ADC policy allows for sectarian services. It simply requires a free world volunteer to lead the service. And it would require, you know, presuming that there's a space available at the time and security available, they are like other Christian groups that are, you know, held, um, you know, in the evenings or at other times, they're allowed to have those services, but that's not what the plaintiffs asked for here. What Mr. Holt and, and, and Mr. Stewart and Mr. Wade wanted the, the ADC to do was define Islam in a way that excluded certain groups from that definition and exclude them from the non-denominational service that was required. It's required under the blue and Shabazz. And ADC has certainly a compelling interest in complying with the orders that it is, um, is, is subject to. Are there uh, Christian services that ever exclude any other Christians, sectarian services? 
No. Because one of the things they've, they've talked about is that there are uh, some institutions that have up to five uh, Christian services and, and then one uh, uh, Islam uh, service, Muslim service. There are not, none of the services exclude anyone. People self-identify, you know, and so that was a little bit of the testimony at trial is that the, the chaplains take uh, the prisoners at their word when they decide, whenever it is, you know, their faith is professed, they say, I am a, you know, nation of Islam or I am Methodist or whatever the service is, they take it at their word and, you know, they go to the services that um, they uh, say that they wish to attend. And so there was also some testimony at trial that if, you know, if a person of a Jewish faith or Christian faith were to attend um, the Juma prayer service, that would not offend the plaintiff's um, religious beliefs as long as they sat in the back. And, you know, that they wouldn't, in fact, leading the prayer service. And, in fact, at trial, when it, some of the, the issue was is that the, 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 the uh, is that the, the problem came when the ADC um, policy when they were they were um, that drifted away from what the ADC policy stated, which is with the there is one Juma prayer uh, that there is the, that pick up the, the prayer services led by the uh, a prayer leader who's selected by the um, Islamic prayer leader, and that they um, you know stay they stay with those. Um, the selected text and the kupa, and that the the really these issues bubbled up when in fact some of the maybe you know, newer uh, uh, chaplains did not understand what was required under the blue order, and that they were allowing certain um, inmates to offer uh, an interpretation um, through the sermon of of and rather than sticking what's what required under the ADC's very specific Juma policy. So the district court also got right um, in their finding the fact when it came to whether or not the plaintiff's um, beliefs were sincerely held. And I understand that the, the, the uh, appellant's position is not as really that the court erred there, but I think that the, the, the role of the district court here was to look at really the, the credibility of the plaintiffs as they testified at trial. And there were some inconsistent testimony. There were some inconsistencies in the ruling. I mean, let's just be perfectly honest. The trial judge at one point uh, says at the, mid, at the end of the hearing, they honestly believe this, and this is their honest belief. No one's questioning that. Then we turn around in his written order, and he says, uh, it, you know, they're insincerely held. But there's no anal analysis of the facts. So we can say there's no, there's no credibility determination that's explicitly made that says, I don't find this particular particular witness lacking in credibility. I mean, isn't it just such a mess? We can't really tell how the judge actually arrived at that conclusion. Uh, uh, the, 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 I think that the court, and it can look at the entire record, but the, uh, the, 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 the district court's uh, conclusions, uh, you know, in applying the law, you know, could have been more specific. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> could have been more specific. Uh, you know, uh, but had the, but the, uh, the district court you know, sat through a three-day hearing mm -hmm. on this issue and was very familiar with the issues well available. And the court, district court makes that clear several times. That, And I think in some of his statements, it's not necessarily saying that you – know, 
that he's reached a conclusion, but at the same time, he's voicing his thinking process as he's working through these issues. So at the part, uh, at the beginning of the trial, there was some debate about whether or not sincerity was still an issue. And the district court did make it very clear on the record that he intended to hold the plaintiffs and the department to all of their burden of proof. So this is just another one of those cases where the musings of the judge uh, may differ from the rulings, but we should analyze on the rulings and, is, and are the findings of fact and the conclusions of law set forth at the end, do they tie sufficiently to the record to be sustainable? That's exactly what I would say, Your Honor. There is a significant record here, and we have you know, a three-day trial. And in, in opposed to, for instance, the, the Hobbs, uh, Holt v. Hobbs case, which was a three-hour hearing on the preliminary injunction, what we have here was a three-day trial before the, the court. And we had you know three witnesses for the plaintiff, and we also had three chaplains who came and testified. And we had uh, the director of the ADC, Dexter Payne, come and testify. And Warden Colclage, who had intimate knowledge of what it is to be able to um, move prisoners from one area to another to get to Juma Prayer, which as occurs under their faith at its particular time of day. And so it faces some obstacles that the ADC doesn't face when it comes to um, services that have greater flexibility. Let me ask you this. So um, I'm, I, I agree with Judge Erickson that they could, that the district court could have obviously said all of these guys aren't credible. Didn't say that. What the district court did say on sincerely held beliefs is sort of prove that there's some place in the doctrine that that justifies what you're asking for. And I think that under our case law, that just is not permissible. Um, I, I mean, you can ask for consistency. You can judge their credibility. But I don't think you can say, show me in the Quran or show me, show me in your texts or show me in wherever that this is a real belief of yours. And I think that that infects the entire holding on sincerely held views. Tell me why that's wrong. Well, I, it, it's one piece of it, as was discussed a little bit. It, it, you know, the, the one piece of the court's analysis, right, is whether or not they could, the plaintiffs could could point to particular parts of the Hadith or the Quran and available. And maybe when they're not, it's in the doctrine is whether or not the plaintiffs have sufficient knowledge of the doctrine and Quran to be able to say that this is in fact a, a sincerely held part of their beliefs. Yeah, could it have done it a little yeah. more neatly? I think that we say that that, that could it's possible. But, uh, but if you look at where the sincerely held belief stuff kind of comes from, you go back into the 70s and 80s, there was what the Reverend Clovis Green or whatever that had these claims where he asserted that, that they religiously held the belief that they, uh, uh, that they needed to watch Monday night football to the conclusion of the game and that they needed to eat steak on Fridays. And we, you know, guys were able to say, uh, whatever that is, cult doesn't exist outside the church, outside the prisons, it's not sincerely held, right? But we haven't otherwise gone to people and said, hey, show us in, 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 your, you know, in your theology uh, where you're drawing these doctrinal conclusions. I mean, that seems to really start to invade the, the right of free exercise in a way that we just generally don't in, in any case. I think your the, the the case law here is is that they they don't have to the, they don't have to look to a specific um, you know point point to some sort of specific uh, you know Bible verse that would support their belief, but they do have to be able to you know use that as a piece of being able to determine whether or not that is an honest conviction about their belief, and so and it's understand it, it is. Uh, uh, um, the way that the, the, the 
court decided, uh, phrased its findings, but there's a lot of evidence in the record for which the court could, uh, could also say that there was some question about whether or not their beliefs were, were credible and consistent based upon the conflicting testimony from their deposition testimony, which they were confronted with during their trial. Mm -hmm. So, um, Counsel, so do, you, do you think that the district court made any of those credibility findings? And I know uh, my colleagues have raised this issue as well, and you have sort of reference some inconsistencies in testimony and credibility issues, but do we have anything from the district court that actually makes that call? The, the district court's opinion does not specifically address the credibility of the witnesses on any particular you know, saying you know, this you know, on any particular way. What it has says is that they just found that it was not sincerely held, and it's phrased more in the general language of Ray Lupa as so opposed to. Do you, do, you, do you think we can do that? Well, I believe under Rule 52, the court really has, and I think that under the uh, reviewing it, the court can look at the entire record that was before the district court and whether or not there are facts that support the district court's finding. Uh, so I, I, I think that the court should be able to look at those, um, the, the record uh, that was completely before the court and maybe not just the, the court's um, one or two sentences on that issue. I wanted to ask you about, um, to sort of jump ahead, the, the security, um, the compelling interest in the security, which I think probably in the abstract is compelling. I mean, we don't want, we don't want inmates running the prison, so to speak. Um, we, we, we need to have security in our prisons. At the same time, um, uh, the least restrictive means seems like a problem um, to me, at least with regard to the district court's analysis. For example, they mentioned, uh, the plaintiffs mentioned that they could wear a transparent kufis or mesh kufis to take care of the, um, the issue with security and hiding things under your, under your headwear. Um, there's obviously a less drastic measure that could be taken, too, where you allow certain prisoners to wear kufis all the time as long as they comply with searches. They don't comply with searches then they don't get to wear them outside anymore. I mean, there just seems to me, and then you've got the screen at the services as well. It just seems to me that there's some obvious, less restrictive measures that would still satisfy the prison's interest. And I think that there's, you know, there in this issue, it, it's not like there were, there's some cases where they're not allowed, you know, whether it's an either or. It's not allowed that the plaintiffs, you know, can never wear this sort of hat or, you know, it is that they can't wear it outside of their, as under policy, they're not allowed to wear it under the religious, outside of religious service, but as a practice, they are allowed to wear it in their cell um, and so, or even in the barracks. And so I think that you have to look at the specific facts of this case and whether or not it is the least restrictive means. And I think that also ties in what it, the testimony at trial is, and, and at the time that this case was trialed, is that staffing was down 70% at the ADC. And uh, if they're in the, and we know that the resources of the ADC, you know, is a re always the refrain is, is that we don't have sufficient people, we don't have sufficient time to be able to conduct these searches. But my understanding is even for like outside time that there was the people who are who are outside were able to wear headwear outside. Um, they just had to go through a search or whatever um, when they before they were. So it seems to me that, that it doesn't make sense, or at least it's not the least restrictive means for there to be a limit in saying, but but not kufis. And not other religious headwear. I can't. I can't reconcile that. 
Well, I think that it is always an issue of whether or not, you know, the, the ADC policy for, you know, and whether it's, whether it is a work hat or other, um, you know, hats, those, those are tied to specific um, duties, uh, uh, specific work duties, and they're a part of that. Each increment in which the, the court al uh, allows plaintiffs to, to have uh, wear a, either a yarmulke or um, other religious headdress, uh, you know, is part of that spiraling burden upon the state to be able to meet those needs. Uh, and that it ties back into the ADC's um, compelling interest in um, meeting that what um, the court, what the district court was looking at is the ADC has a compelling interest in meeting all of the needs that uh, the inmates have, and that includes getting them to medical appointments, doctor's appointments, uh, providing them, making sure that they get to their uh, meals and those sorts of things. And when staffing is 70% down, this ADC was very much struggling to be able to reach those minimum requirements. That does raise an interesting point that I've always wondered about this area of the law, though, is what do, you, what do you do with that? Is is the rule different when staffing is normal or staffing is up than, than any, anyone can wear a, a headgear? But sorry, uh, you can't do it when we've got staffing down. You, your, your religion has to take a backseat to our security concerns. I mean, is that, is that sort of where the law has taken us? I think that the, you know, the issue is the balancing test that the court, the, 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 the Congress gave us under Ray Lupa, and that each of these cases is very much tied to the specific facts that are presented at the time. This was a case for asking for prospective injunctive relief, and the court had to make that decision based upon the facts that were presented at trial. And, you know, Dexter Payne and, and Warden Cole Clasier have between them something like close to 75 years of experience at the ADC, and they had never seen staffing at this level. Well, and what's, what's odd about this is suppose that the plaintiffs, in your view, come back in two years or three years, and staffing levels are back up. I don't know if they will be, but let's presume they are. Do they win then, but they lose now in the in the ADC's view? I, it will be a different it will be a different argument. Is that right? So that whether or not those balancing tests weigh in what in the favor of uh, the plaintiff or the defendant, and so we ask that the court inform the district court's order in all respects. Thank you, Mr. Robbins. The last time uh, Gregory Hull and ADC were before this court, uh, ADC uh, told this court, as it did the court below, that it was a quarter inch, half inch of facial hair that was the line between civilization um, uh, and chaos. And now it's uh, the, 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 they've taken out facial hair and they've substituted in a mesh head covering, no different from a security perspective than the medical toboggans that they issue via prescriptions, via individualized, considered prescriptions. And this RELUPA doesn't allow. And in exchange, the, the ADC is inviting this court to wade into theological matters. Yes, the, the, the ADC is taking a position on what is Islam and what isn't, who is Muslim and who isn't. What do we do? I want to go to the services because I, there was one point made by ADC that, that is different in the framing of the case. They say the plaintiffs weren't asking for their own services, and had they been asking for their own services without um, 
you know, you can't exclude anybody. So without the ability to exclude anybody, we would have given it to them. We would have given, put up the screen or whatever, allowed different services, just that everybody could come. That, that's not accurate, Your Honor. The, the, uh, the, our colleagues on the other side said that uh, people self-identify, and what our clients are asking for is the ability self-identify as Muslim and to attend a service of Muslims. And that is the reasonable kind of typical expectation of a religious adherent, that they're going to worship alongside those that believe as they do, that in the, in the, in the, in the process of praying, in the call and response of a leader and those following them in prayer, th that's substantive. That may not have a meaning to the district court. It may not have a meaning to the prisons, but... Let me ask you this, because I don't know that you're precisely answering my question. So suppose you get this. Suppose you get the separate services, and then um, the prison comes back to you and says, you cannot exclude Nation of Islam people. You can have the service you want, but if the Nation of Islam folks come in, you got to let them in. What would be your position? Our position would be that the that people should go to the services that they identify at. If they, if they want to attend and watch, that'd be fine. But okay. the Muslims should be able to identify and have a Muslim service. The NOI folks should be able to identify as NOI and attend a service for, for them as well, which is exactly what happens in the federal context. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Case is submitted. Uh, I want to thank you for the briefing and the arguments. It's been uh, very helpful. Uh, the clerk may call the next case.